on a week when one of the greatest servants of Jesus Christ that have ever walked this earth has passed into glory, we come to a text now that declares the confidence by which Billy Graham lived. You have the words of eternal life. So look with me now in your Bibles to John chapter 6 and verses 60 through to 71. In this story, Jesus is now deserted by many people. He does not put popularity ahead of the truth. And so we come now to this remarkable passage, John chapter 6 and verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, and uh, that uh, phrase, heard it, is referencing back to Jesus' teaching that Whoever feeds on him, whoever eats his body and drinks his blood has eternal life. And this, of course, was a difficult thing for them to understand. And so now, verse 60, where many of his disciples heard it, whoever feeds on me, whoever drinks me has eternal life, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Well, a lot of exciting things are going on at Cottage Church these days. We had a membership class just a few weeks ago with 40 or more people in it, and this was especially remarkable because it was on flu season weekend, and so they, they came along even at great risk of catching yet more flu, and some who had flu could not make it. And we have a newcomer's lunch uh, after the uh, 11 o'clock service with many people signed up, and I trust many of you will come along to that as well. But here we are, we come to a teaching of Jesus's that is a hard saying In fact, when he is confronted by the crowds of disciples who have been following him, 5,000 or more, 
And they come to him and say, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Jesus does something even more astonishing. He ups the ante. And he says, well, if that's hard, you find that hard, how about this? How about you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? What, what would you say then? Now, why is it that Jesus does this? Why is it that Jesus teaches something hard? Why doesn't he make it easy and straightforward and simple? Why doesn't he say what it is that uh, the crowd is looking for? Why does he give this, this hard teaching? Well, let me ask you this question. Are you fed up with superficial answers? We have these all the, all the time these days, don't we? The, the, the politician who, not all of them, but many of them give us little more than a sound bite, a carefully crafted, market-tested solution to a massive problem in, in our cities and the, the race crisis and, and all the different issues in our world. And they tell us something that we know full well is far too superficial to answer the problems. We see it in politics. We see it in entertainment, the movies that we watch these days. I don't know about you, but I find these days that within about 30 seconds, I can tell what's going to happen in the movie because it's the same story. It's so superficial. And I'm afraid sometimes we even see it in religion. I uh, visited a church, uh, it shall remain nameless, some time ago, and in the middle of the service, they actually started to sing, take me out to the ball game, which didn't offend me. I was actually particularly pleased that I knew they were singing about baseball. Uh, they were having, but it did seem to me, nonetheless, to be astonishingly superficial. I heard of another church that uh, on Super Bowl Sunday literally put football figurines in the entranceway to the church so that people could tackle the, 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 the football figures on the way into the, in, into the service. Well, again, I wasn't offended when I heard that. In fact, I would have quite enjoyed wrestling some of those football figurines. It would have brought back my, my rugby days. I enjoyed that kind of thing, but it did strike me as remarkably superficial. Oh, here's Jesus, and he's not like that at all. We, we think sometimes that Jesus just tells, uh, tells easy stories, and, but here he is teaching a hard saying. Right at the center of this text is the question then that Jesus asks us all. In verse 67, what about you? Are you going to leave too? You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. This is the question that we all must face this morning. The crowds, they, um, they left Judas pretended on the outside to be following Jesus, but internally he was rebelling against Jesus. What, what about you? Are you going to be like the crowd this morning? Are you going to be like Judas? 
pretending, looking good on the outside, but internally rebelling? Or are you going to be like Peter? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. What about you? Are you going to leave too? That is the central question of this text. And to help us get to grips with it, I have here three explanatory questions to open up what's behind that question here in this passage. Here they are. Why is it that we avoid hard sayings? Why does Christ teach hard sayings? And why should you follow Christ even with these hard sayings? So first of all, why is it then that we avoid hard sayings and stick with the superficial? Well, that's That's not a very difficult question to answer. The crowd, you see, had been following Jesus because he had fed them with physical bread. And the reason why, of course, we avoid hard sayings and prefer the superficial and and accent and teach the superficial is because this is what people want. Paul said the time will come when... People will gather teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. It would be much easier for Jesus to simply have told the crowd that the reason why they should follow him is because he will keep on giving them food. He will keep on healing their sicknesses, their material needs. It would have been much easier if he had not said, as he did in verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I mean, can you imagine the search committee of a church or the ordination committee council hearing that kind of statement? They'd be scratching their head on that one, too complicated by far. Keep the cookies on the low shelf. Keep it simple. Come on, Jesus, make it easier. Well, that's why we uh, avoid hard sayings, is because we don't want hard sayings. We want superficial, easy things. And yet, that is, of course, the wrong choice. Jesus so wants to teach us hard things because they are important things, because faith And repentance and the road to life is narrow and few find it. And he's reaching out to us that we might find that way, that that hard way. But that true way, that living way. But that's not what people want. What a huge mistake though. Superficial answers generate superficial people. And then what happens when something hard comes along? What do I do when my son dies? What's going to happen when I die? What is the answer to the origin of 
of evil? Why, why is it that there is so much trouble in this, in this world? What, what is going on? Well, oh, don't get into any of that stuff. Just put football figurines on, on the way into church. Sing, take it out to the ball game. Put the cookies on the lowest possible shelf. That will keep them happy. Maybe. Maybe. But it won't save them. It's a bit like eating McDonald's for breakfast, lunch, and supper. McDonald's is fine once in a while, but you don't want to live on it. You need the bread of life, not fast food spirituality. Of course, it doesn't mean that we have to be morose or depressive or down. Jesus here is offering us hope. He is the, the, the Messiah of hope. He's talking about eternal life, what could be more filled with joy and hope. It doesn't mean we have to be depressive or, or boring or down in the mouth. It means that we're calling people to find true life and we're not satisfied to just give them what they want. McDonald's spirituality that makes you sicker and sicker all the time and your cholesterol levels, spiritually speaking, go through the roof. It doesn't mean you have to be depressive and down in the mouth. I, I, down in the mouth, I, I like the story of uh, Billy Graham. He, he used to say that he prayed everywhere apart from the golf course because God never answered his prayers on the golf course. You know, there are many things to rejoice in as a Christian, but there is a narrow path. Uh, let me ask you this. How do you know whether you've been feeding on spiritual junk food? Well, if you've been eating nothing but spiritual junk food, eventually you'll start to get spiritually sick. And what does that mean? Well, it means you'll not be able to tell the difference between good teaching, bad teaching, and outright heresy. I was told just a week or so ago of a Christian, so-called Christian professor at a Christian school who had actually been encouraging his students to go to a church that did not believe that Jesus is God. It was uh, no doubt very active in all the right kind of social activities. It no doubt had all the right flavor, but it was a Unitarian church. How, How can you get there? How can you do that as a Christian professor? Only because you've been feeding on spiritual junk food. And in the end, your, your taste buds become unable to tell the difference between good teaching, bad teaching, and outright heresy. But we avoid hard sayings because that's not what people want. So then why does... Christ teach hard sayings. Doesn't he want to make uh, things uh, easier? Christ teaches hard sayings because he wants to make things better. He wants us to have eternal life. 
There's this crowd. They've come to Jesus because he fed them food. They now think he's the prophet, but they think, they think he's the one Moses promised, but they think in material terms. They want more bread, more physical food. They want Jesus to kick out the Romans, to have a physical revolution. They're not coming to him for spiritual feeding. So Jesus is trying to get them to see this. He, he wants them to eat the bread of life, not just a hunky, old, moldy bit of physical bread. He, he wants them to have the bread of life. I think it was in the famous L.A. crusade when uh, Billy Graham there was preaching and after uh, one uh, one uh, evening meeting uh, the next day, there was a news conference and a reporter asked him this question. The reporter told him that some church leaders had been criticizing Billy Graham. And what they'd been saying was that Billy Graham in this L.A. crusade is going to set the church back 50 to 100 years and Billy Graham, who had many gifts, and one of them, I think, was wisdom and patience, I thought for a moment and then replied like this. I said, well, I'm, I, I must apologize. Uh, my goal here has not been to uh, set the church back 50 to 100 years. My goal here has been to bring the church back 2,000 years They need the bread of life. So he says in verse 63, the Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you are Spirit and their life. He's not trying to get them to eat physically, he's trying to get them to eat spiritually. And you say, well, what does that mean? What on earth does that mean? It means you feast on him by faith. Of course, what that means is that the Spirit of Jesus is real. And what that means is that the person of Jesus is the one you need. He is the strength you need to keep on going when you're facing innumerable challenges. It's it's feeding on Jesus. It means that the hope you need is in Jesus Himself. It means asking to be filled with His Spirit. Charles Spurgeon was once asked why it is that we need to keep on asking to be filled with the Spirit of Christ. And Charles Spurgeon asked, the reason why I need to keep on being filled with the Spirit of Christ is because I leak well, you're, you're, you're leaking. Not, it's not enough last week. It's not enough yesterday. It's now you need to ask Christ to feed you with His Word, with, with Him Himself. It means reading His Word. For His words are spirit and they are life. Are you a Bible student? Are you reading the Bible? If you're not, no wonder you're weak. 
No wonder you're discouraged. No wonder your spiritual life is a mess. His words are life. You're not going to have life if you don't have his word in you. It means spending time in prayer with Jesus. Oh, how we need a new generation of disciples of Jesus who are prayer warriors today. How we need that. It's not religion. It's a relationship with Jesus. None of this is easy. It is better. It's not superficial. It is spiritual. It's not materialistic. It is supernatural. You know, us human beings are more than merely material machines to be physically fed. We, we have hopes. We have dreams. We have desires. There's an energy to a human. There's a consciousness. There's a soul, a psyche. And all that must be fed if we are to find life, if we're to live as God wants us to live, if we're to be all that God wants us to be, if we are to be saved, to have eternal life. It's church then that is not just a religious social club to take care of your physical needs. It's it's church as a community that is feeding on Christ to be a beacon of light and hope and mercy of the gospel to all around. It, It means that when you have a problem that's too big for you, you go to God and ask him to intervene. It means believing that the answer to the human problem these days, with all the different pundits in our newspapers and all the different theories given different answers to the problems we're facing today, the answer to the human problem is not systemic cultural change. It is not socioeconomic class revolution. None of these Marxist materialistic solutions that are in the air all over the place these days. None of that. No, the answer to the human problem is dealing with with human nature, with the human heart, the, the life that we need, the new life, the hope, the dreams, the The answer is Christ giving us this new life. And and it's not superficial McDonald's religion with football figurines on the way into the church. It's the very person of Jesus by his word that is spirit and his life. Well, that's why Jesus teaches hard sayings. He wants us to have life. So why then should you follow Jesus? Well, let me ask you again this core question in our text. Do you want to go away as well? You must answer that question. Are you going to be like the crowds? You're going to be like Judas who pretended to be following Jesus, looked good on the outside, knew all the words to all the hymns, all the songs, knew, knew the Bible intellectually perhaps even, but, but inside he was rebelling. 
I believe that if Judas repented, he too would find life. And I believe from God's word that if you believe, you will find life, eternal life. For Jesus has the words of eternal life. As Peter put it in verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? Will this be your answer? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Now there's an eternal dimension to all this that is very mysterious. Theologians down through the years have tried to solve it, but it is beyond the comprehension of a human mind. As Jesus says in verse 65, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. The Father, God's eternal power is necessary for humans to be enabled to come to Jesus. And this enabling is more than simply an external calling, more than simply hearing the gospel with our physical ears. For as Jesus says in verse 70, even Judas heard the gospel call in that sense, but he did not respond. There is an internal work of God, the Father of God by His Spirit that that softens our heart to believe. And when there is that internal work, That is effectual. It always carries through what God has determined for it to do and therefore eternal. These are great mysteries. Great mysteries. I think in many ways the the best way of understanding this was put together by another evangelist, another great evangelist, D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody would say that when you come to Christ, you see above the door these words, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see that, and you go through the door of salvation. Come to me. You need to respond, believe, come to me. You go through the door. And then wonder of wonders. You look back on the other side of the door, and it says, Before the creation of the universe, I have known you. He didn't just know you when you were a baby in your mother's womb. He knew you before the creation of the world. You are his. And nothing and no one can snatch you out of his hand. I sometimes say it's a bit like uh, two train tracks. One train track on one side says, believe, believe. And the other train track says, God is sovereign. And the Bible teaches both, as it does here, even sometimes in the same passage, sometimes in the same verse. They're both true. And those train tracks believe in God's sovereignty must never in our minds or in our practices cross. They're both true. And they go over the horizon of eternity into the very mind of God that is far beyond any, any human ability to comprehend. It is a message of hope. 
He has the words of eternal life. He is the Holy One of God. If you believe, that is your experience. Your, you then have that new life. How our world needs this message of hope today. How our churches need this message of hope today. He has the words of eternal life. There is meaning and purpose beyond these few years we live on this earth. There is a purpose to our life for all of eternity. He has the words of eternal life. How we need that message of hope today. And Billy Graham, I think it was in the New York crusade, told a story about a policeman. The policeman came across a uh, young man who was standing on a bridge above a river, about to jump in to that river to to kill himself. And uh, the policeman was trying to persuade the young man not to kill himself, and eventually the policeman said this, look, I'll make you a deal. You have five minutes to tell me all the reasons why you should jump in to the water and kill yourself. You have five minutes to do that if you will give me five minutes to tell you all the reasons why you should live. Is that a deal? The young man said, yeah, that's a deal. So the young man presented all his reasons over five minutes as to why he should jump into the water and kill himself. And then when that had finished, the policeman Gave uh, all the reasons why, gave his five minutes and all the reasons why he should live. And at the end of those ten minutes altogether, they both jumped in the water. There are so many superficial answers from religion. This isn't religion, it's relationship with Jesus. So many superficial answers from politics. The politicians cannot solve the problems of the world. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can. So many superficial answers presented in entertainment and technology that numb our brains so we cannot think. None of that is going to solve our problems. It might distract us for an hour or two. Only in Christ. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Well, let me then again ask you the question that Jesus asks at the center of this text. What about you? Are you going to leave too? When you know that Jesus has words of eternal life, you will not leave Jesus. Superficial teachings, avoid hard sayings, may be easier, but it's spiritually unhealthy. Christ's hard teachings are are spiritually life-giving. And because Jesus has words of eternal life, you will not leave Jesus. Therefore, how do you answer that question that Jesus asks? Do you want to go away as well? Will you be like the crowd of disciples who leave? Will you be like Judas? Outside looking great. Inside filled with anger against God and refusing to submit to his will, refusing to repent of your sins. Are you going to be like that? Or will you be like Peter? Lord, to whom shall we go? You 
have the words of eternal life. Or come today and find that eternal life. Our Lord, we pray that today you would grant us to feed on you. That by your Spirit, through your Word, you have the words of eternal life. We would find fresh nourishment, fresh energy, spiritual resources for whatever the challenges are that we are facing today. Lord, we pray that we would answer this question as Peter does, even when we are facing hard things, confusing things, difficult things, things that trouble us. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so we pray, Lord, that you would do this. Grant us that life. Give us by your Spirit the feeding on you that we might honor you and have life in the name of Jesus. Amen.